0: Hello everyone and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan and this is episode 89. We're back with our new producer, Hendo Bear, and I made it extra hard on him for his maiden episode at the helm with some technical difficulties. They're not terrible, but my audio in particular improves after the 20 minute mark. So hang in there if you can, as today's guest drops some amazing insights and stories. Before then, however, Congratulations are in order for Hawaii's Honolulu Blomfield and California's Joel Tudor on claiming the 2021 WSL Longboard titles at last week's Jeep Malibu Classic presented by Javianas. We'll see if we can get one or both of them on the pod in the future. Also, also additional congrats to Hawaiians Ezekiel Lau and Luana Silva for taking out the Mayo Visla Aracera Pro Challenger Series event last week. The WSL Challenger Series, the battleground that determines who will be amongst the world's best on the Elite Championship Tour in 2022, continues this week with the Quicksilver Pro France in Landis. The penultimate event on the 2021 Challenger Series is webcast live at worldsurfleague.com. Do not miss it. All right. Episode 89. Today's guest is someone who hails from the wave-rich island of Puerto Rico. A late starter in surfing, he developed into one of the island's most well-rounded surfers, battling it out on the qualifying series in the mid-aughties, signing major endorsements, and starring in high-profile films. And, as with the surfing world as a whole, he suffered acute and the collective trauma around the passing of Andy Irons and the impact of that across the community. In the years that have followed, however, he's reemerged as a leader for his island surfing community, hosting events and a surf school, and he still shreds hard enough to have found himself cast in a major network television show this year. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the Lineups conversation with Puerto Rico's Alejandro Moreda. The good old clap take one? That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven
1: years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest?
0: We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want.
1: I'm talking to your boxing.
0: All right, we have the pride of Puerto Rico, Alejandro Moreira on the lineup today. Ali, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hey Dave, thank you so much for having me. This is, it's a true honor to be on your show. I'm such a big fan and uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm nervous because like I said, I'm a fan and this is crazy to be on your show. This is, this is truly an honor and I'm just tripping out. I can't wait to shoot it. You know what I mean? Uh, Talk shit and then have fun. You know what I mean? This is crazy.
0: Well, I, I think the fandom may actually go the other way because I couldn't find this online because it was so long ago that the archives are gone. But years and years and years ago, uh, Lewis Samuels used to do his power rankings on post-surf and then he started doing them for Surfline. And I was just a young buck, like, out of school. i just started at the AST. I was freelancing on the side. And Surfline came to me and said, can you do a junior power rankings because I was doing all the junior events and I definitely remember featuring you in like the first batch of like top 20 juniors back in probably like 05 or 06 time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm so bummed I couldn't find that because I wanted to read what I wrote about you. But man, you've been uh, such a good surfer for such a long time. I'm just excited to have you on the show.
1: Oh man, it's, it, thank you so much for your words. And uh, yeah, uh, I can't even believe it. You know what I mean? Like I've been watching your show for so long and uh, just to be one of the guys that's featured today here on your show, on your podcast. It's a true honor. The people that you've interviewed have been legends, are people that I look up to, are icons. And just to be here in your show today is, it's a dream come true. Uh,
0: Well, we're gonna get into why you fit right in with all those folks that you look up to. But but, but starting off first, man, I I know you're on the West Coast and we were gonna try to do this together in person, which would have been great. But, but where are you today and, and who are you hanging out with? What's going on?
1: So I'm here in Puerto Rico. Uh, I finally got back from California. Like when I saw you, uh, I at home. The waves are pumping. Like you can see, I'm super sunburnt. The waves have been mm. su- super good the last two days. Uh, I just got out of an injury after the Ultimate Surfer. I was boxing with my brother and I slipped on the canvas and I tore my ACL and my meniscus. So I was out of the water for eight months after the ultimate surfer. So I'm, I'm finally starting to come into my own. I'm feeling like an an 80%. And just yesterday I finally got to surf waves that were of consequence. So it was scary. My mind was kind of like tripping out. Like, am I ready for this? Is my body ready to withstand this type of wave? So it was definitely a trip mind that I was like, am I ready for this? You can do this. You've been training really hard. So it just felt it felt amazing to really put myself in that that situation of surfing those kinds of waves and put my body there. So it feels good. I'm, I'm definitely really happy to get back on the surfboard, to get back surfing with friends, which is really why we do this. You know what I mean? That's the funnest part about surfing.
0: It's one of those things that if you know, you know. But I, I certainly didn't know growing up. But I remember hearing it from Hawaiians themselves and just talking up the – wave quality and just the power that, that, that waves have in Puerto Rico. And is that a fair assessment? Is it is it one of the closer kind of spots to Hawaii that you've experienced throughout your career?
1: I would say, so I, I think it's different, but we have that type of caliber of waves for sure. Like I, when I started surfing, we were always um, mentioned as the Hawaii of the East Coast. So I always grew up from that. And then from when I was young, all my the legends that, that came before me, they were always really good surfers in Hawaii. So we always thought that we had that caliber and that we had to surf bigger waves. And that's how I grew up. I was like, these guys, my, my, all the legends before me surfed huge waves. And there were such good surfers in Hawaii, like Carlos Carbero won the HIC pipeline. You know what I mean? So I grew up listening to that. So I knew that we had to charge. And anytime the waves got big here in Puerto Rico, we were like, we got to tackle the biggest, the gnarliest waves we can to put, put ourselves in that situation.
0: It's it's something that comes up on this podcast a lot. And, you yeah, uh, know, I've talked to Chloe about it, I've talked to John about it, but getting comfortable in, in whatever kinds of waves, whether they're serious reef waves or small beach breaks or whatever, is so formative to a surfer's career, ultimately. You know, we talk about, you know, the younger you get, Schooled in certain types of waves, like just the more comfortable you are moving forward. And coming from a spot like Puerto Rico with such uh, powerful waves, and as you said, having it prepare you and other surfers from Puerto Rico for somewhere like Hawaii is a huge advantage compared to, I can say it, I grew up in Orange County, like there's just not those kind of waves there. Like you have to travel to get comfortable there and and sort of in uh, your heart of hearts, like growing up. In Orange County, it might be Lower Trestles. It might be T Street. It might be Newport. it Might be Huntington Beach, and and that has an impact on on a surfer's career. Have you ever thought about the advantage of of growing up in Puerto Rico and come to your performances in Hawaii?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, being from Puerto Rico, we're we're blessed that we have such good waves that I always kind of even took it for granted. Like we had to travel overseas to surf in Florida when I was growing up to go to NSSAs or go to California and I felt like we weren't as ready as the other kids that were from there because they were so used to the conditions but once we started going to Hawaii I felt like kind of like that was my second home I felt I was kind of more in that vibe of Hawaii cuz I was so used to the surfing the reef breaks and and uh feeling that sensation of how you feel when you're surfing bigger waves I felt more more accustomed so I feel like definitely was a huge advantage going to Hawaii but it kind of hurt me going to certain places like going to California, going to Florida to compete as a junior. So it definitely made me like realize, okay, if I'm going to go to these places, I really have to work on my small wave game. Like I already knew I could surf big waves, but like pretty much if you're competing, which when I was young, that's all you could do. There was no free surfing. There was no, none of those things that you other, ways that you could go through about surfing. You had to compete and that's how you would get sponsors and you had to put results. So for me, it was more about going to contests in Florida and then from Florida, going to California. So it was kind of surfing pretty bad waves.
0: Outside the wave differences, you know, another thing is sort of the, the cultural component and just the motivation component. And we probably both have friends that have experienced this where it's hard to leave Hawaii and surf around the world because Hawaii is so nice and we see this with people in Indonesia or even Western Australia like surfers kind of if they've got good waves and they like where they live it's hard to leave Did, was that ever a struggle for you in terms of flying to other countries flying to America competing in smaller waves leaving Puerto Rico was that was that tough for
1: you definitely Dave I I was one of those guys that was on the phone like on the way to surf a contest there was going to be two foot slop and I was like talking to my brother like all the ways are going to be pumping and I'm here surfing two foot slop. And am I making the right decision? Like, is this what I really want to do? I kind of want to surf good waves. That's what I love. That's my passion. But when you want to be a professional at this sport of surfing, you might, you have to make sacrifices. Mm -hmm. You have to really get outside your comfort zone and really adapt to being in that situation that you are there for a job. You're here to compete. You can't really be thinking about what's happening at home, but. It definitely took me a while to get in that that state of mind that I that I had to focus on the event, not on the waves that were happening back home.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you mentioned a brother, but I like you were born in Puerto Rico. What, what was your family life like, and how did how did you get into surfing?
1: So my my story is pretty hilarious. I would say, or not not cliche So my, I don't come from a surfing background family. Uh, my family. None, nobody in my family surf the way I started surfing was cause my bigger brother, I'm the youngest of three brothers, uh, brought home a rusty surfboard, which I'll never forget. Dave was this rusty surfboard that had flames coming through the rails. And for me, I saw that surfboard and I was like, what the hell is this? This is like, looked like the craziest thing. And apart from that, he won a, um, a cassette, a, a VHS cassette. And that cassette was um, Endless Summer 2. I saw Endless Summer 2, Dave, and I swear to God, I told my brother, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Like, I shit you not, I saw that movie and I was like, this is it for me. Like, um, uh, there was no looking back. There was nothing. This is, I was, I got so attached and there's something about riding waves and these guys traveling around the world, going to chase the best waves in the world that I was like, wow, like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I'll never forget that. Telling my brother, my brother was like, I was like, you're tripping yeah, you're crazy. Like, that's not what you're going to do. And I was like, no, man, like, this is what I'm going to do. And my family was like my, my mom's a psychiatrist. My dad's a lawyer, all my familiars that, uh, my grandfather were all professionals at, at being lawyers. My brother's a lawyer. So surfing was not even an option for me. You know what I mean? It was something that they were like looking at me like, you're not gonna do this. You're going to college, you're you're gonna find a job, you're gonna get a nine to five. Like for me, it was so hard to convince my my mom to let me surf. Like I basically like cried to her for like a year to get me a surfboard, to get me in surfing classes, or to 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 really to really get in this sport that I had so much passion about, you know what I mean? That I felt like this is, this was my calling, you know what I mean? Like, and, um, I remember when I was young, I, I I couldn't go surfing. So I, I just rode my skateboard and you know, the driveways where people go up to drive into your house, that was my wave. That's where I practice every day, your snaps, your bottom turns, everything. So I, it was super hard to, for my family to really embrace that. I wanted to be a pro surfer and. I really just, I think in that sense too, it made me want it even a lot more, which is crazy.
0: That I'm glad you said that because in my experience, and I come from a similar background as you and obviously didn't get anywhere near your level, but even in talking to people on the show, there's sort of a spectrum, right? You get on one end of the spectrum, you get sort of the dynastic uber talents where like you know, my dad was a professional surfer, my mom was a professional surfer, and my grandfather shaped surfboards, and I am a CT surfer kind of thing, right? And then you get the other end of the spectrum, which is your situation, right, where you had to fight to become a surfer even from the beginning, you know, with, like, your own family. And not that you're fighting your family, but you're having to sort of prove a case out where it's like, I know this is foreign to us. I really want to do it. And I don't think you can discount that hunger because I would imagine that that same hunger propelled you through a good chunk of your career probably still does to this day.
1: Oh, definitely. I I think um, having that hunger is what keeps me going. It's what keeps me motivated because it's something that I had to prove to to my family, to my mother and my dad that this was for real. This is my passion. I'm not giving up. And to this day, I still feel like I have to prove to my family, to myself every other day that I have to be better, that I have to, I have to progress. Even if it's not surfing, it's business wise, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, just being a better human. You know what I mean? I, I feel like I'm always constantly trying to prove to myself that I can do better, that I can be better. So it, it, I think it molded me to be the, the human, the person I am today and, and, uh, no regrets. You know what I mean? Just like you said, I feel like, like kids nowadays, like, I think they have it so easy that they don't understand that how blessed they are to, to have their parents on their beach, videoing them to have their parents to, to that take them to the contest. They're there for them. That's, that's amazing. I see that. And I'm just like, wow, like these kids don't really understand how amazing it is to have somebody backing you and, uh, and pushing you and really like being there for you and, in moments that, that you really need them. You know what I mean? Like when I was growing up, it was pretty much me and my brother, like my, my, my other brother, which is Nicolás, Nico is, uh, he's just my other person that we had, that we talked about surfing, that we we were so driven from this sport. And, and uh, he was my coach, my dad, my mom, in that sense that we would talk about like, like, oh, like I'm so like bummed that I lost. And, I didn't even know how to channel that anger or how to keep going, keep motivated. Should I? Should I go to school? Should I quit surfing and try to quit this professional lifestyle and and try to go to school and get a normal job and live the nine to five? And he was like, "No, keep going, keep keep at it." You know what I mean? So it it it's, it was it was it was surreal. Like I remember talking to Seek about this when he was when we were in the Ultimate Surfer when he was telling me that. Like his dad pretty much made him shave his head before he won uh NSSA national championships. And I was like, wow, like that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like that's like that's a totally different spectrum that I lived in. So I look at that and I'm just like, wow, like like these kids are so blessed that they have that and they probably don't even recognize it. You know what I mean? Totally. I mean,
0: even I think Kelly Slater wrote about it in one of his books, like he. He didn't come from a lot either, you know? And and even though he's one of the more successful surfers of all time, like he talks about when he was early on competing and he said, you know, we were competing for furniture. We were like, oh, if we get through this round, that's a couch, you know, like that's, we can can put the couch in the apartment kind of thing. Um, And I think it does a lot. You didn't grow up in a surfing family. Did you grow up near the beach? Like what was your situation like just even getting to the ocean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, well, I was blessed that, uh, my family lived right next to the beach. Great. So I was like, I would get to school and I could see from school, I could see the waves and, and that did do my head in every day. I was like, why am I in school? I should be surfing. And you know what I mean? Like that type of stuff. So when I would leave school, I would seriously run back to my house, get my board and I would surf in front of my house, which was a terrible way. It wasn't a, re- it wasn't, it wasn't a wave. Like in Puerto Rico, you would think of like a reef break. That was awesome. No, it was, it was a terrible beach break, but that was the only thing I had in front of my house that, that my parents would let me surf. So I would surf there, but then getting older, we would get a ride. And, or I remember my grandpa was actually one of the people that would take me surfing. Cause I would call him and be like, please grandpa, can you please take me to the <laughs> beach? Like, and you know, like that type of stuff. And it's, it's funny what you were saying about Kelly, and, and I think in, it brings back to what's happening right now with surfing. How the Brazilians are so much more hungrier than any other uh, continent or any other uh, people that are coming in the tour, and, and I think that's why they, they, they realize that that's their ticket into into surf stardom, into living a good life, into having a good good car, a good house, and all these these things that that help you live day by day.
0: You're still a very young man. He's 34, I think. And then when we met um, the first time around, it would have been 05, 06. So you would have been right around your juniors at 20, right? Between starting to surf and becoming a professional, who were the people on the island that were your contemporaries? Are we talking Brian Toth, Dylan Graves? Like, How, how did you kind of go from learning to competing to being one of the guys?
1: That's, uh, that's crazy. So I started surfing way older than uh, Brian, Dylan, uh, Gabby Suedero, which is one of the best two at that time, Tommy Virgin, mm-hmm. a bunch of other kids. Uh, man, it was crazy. I, I didn't know that much, but I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I put my head down and I really went for it. But it was crazy to get to events. I didn't know logistics of how to buy tickets or how to get to NSSA events on the East Coast. And I feel that um, Brian's parents, uh, Dylan's parents, really gave me the biggest hand in the world and brought me into their family, brought me into their their niche, and uh, really showed me the ropes of how to compete or how to be a professional surfer coming up to this junior junior category. You know what I mean? Like I was so they were they would call me the whole man because I didn't know how to actually. Purchase a ticket or how to do all these logistics, like going back to it, my parents didn't didn't know that much about surfing events or going to these things. I basically had to do all that by myself, like, oh, how to sign up for an event, how to pay for it. I would ask my dad, oh, can I borrow your credit card to get in? And they didn't even know what I was getting into. So it was crazy. If it weren't for Brian and Dylan's parents, I would have never made it. I would have never been close to anything to become a pro surfer. I think Brian and Dylan having that uh, support from their parents really helped me out in, uh, in understanding how to really go to events, surfing contests, go to, go to this contest, go to that contest. And it was for them because if it weren't for, been for them, I would have never made it. I pro- probably would have been stuck here in Puerto Rico. Like, I remember the first time I went to Hawaii, I, I didn't even know where I was going to stay. And if it weren't been for Brian's mom that picked me from the airport and, and let me stay with them, I probably would have stayed in, in a dumpster or, or something like that. Like, I have a really cool story. Uh, when I was going, actually, I was like 17. I was going to an NSSA event. And the person that was going to pick me up forgot about me. So I jumped in the car with this person that I've never met. I never knew he was, he was just saying, Oh, I could give you guys a ride to wherever you want. Just pay me cash. I jumped in with this guy, which I've never seen in my life. I, I could have, I could have died or I could have, uh, anything could have happened. The guy takes me to new Smyrna and I, and, and I'm like, um, can you take me to the hotel? And I go to the hotel and I'm 17 years old. You can't, you can't rent a hotel. I was like, wow, what am I going to do now? And I told the guy just dropped me off at the beach. Dave, the beach was freezing that night. I ended up sleeping inside of a porta potty <laughs> And then the next day I was so revved up that my friends didn't pick me up from the airport that I smoked them in the contest <laughs> and I had not slept the whole day, the whole night. It was crazy.
0: It, it sounds like this is one of those moments, but I was going to ask since you were a late starter in surfing. Um, and it is very cool. It does actually sound, I mean, the Brazilian storm, as far as like a familial community is, is sort of the modern embodiment of that on tour, but it's, it's happened throughout. It's happened throughout the tour's history where there's been pockets of people from the same community or the same country that kind of band together on tour. But I was going to ask, was there a moment for you where you realized like, I, I can make a run at this. Like, was it a sponsorship? Was it an event win? Was it a particular performance where even you, yourself, you went, no, no, I'm going to make a serious run at, at doing this.
1: So, Dave, I remember um, there was an NSSA East Coast Championship event. I think I was 15 or something like that, 15, 14. And I was in Open Juniors, Explored Men's, and I think I was maybe Explore Boys, something like that. And I did all those different types of categories. And, it, I, and I ended up making the final in the Explorer Mens, And I was the youngest guy in the final. And I was like, wow, like, if I can make it here and I made it with the top guys from the East Coast, I can really, I can really go from here. And I'll never forget, I think it was Dylan Graves that told me, he's like, it's, we're doing this. You're, 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 going for it. You know what I mean? We're all going for it. This is, this is, this is, this is our time. And I was like, this is our time. Like, and I think all, all that young crew that we had here in Puerto Rico, we kind of banded together and support each other so much. And it was, there was this, this, um, competitive atmosphere. And it was crazy because we're all brothers. Like, um, uh, me and my brother surf, uh, Brian and his brother, Wesley, are surfers. Dylan and his bigger brother, Josie, are surfers. And we're all kind of the same age bracket. Gabby and his brother, Mario, were were surfers. Tommy and his brother were surfers. It was a group of brothers that were all from the same age. And I think we banded together and there was, so, there was such a competitive atmosphere between us that we wanted to beat each other and really, really, like, destroy each other in the water. So anywhere we surfed where the waves are big, we, we were like, oh, are you going to go on the biggest one or are you going to you're going to, you're, you're going to push out. Like it was always a competitive atmosphere that I think brought the best out on all of us. You know what I mean? So it was, it was, it was beautiful.
0: Very cool. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors and we'll hit some more topics when we come back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. As surfing makes its impressive showcase for the second time at the Olympic Games Paris 2024, Samsung is capturing every epic moment through a new series and a celebration of our culture, bringing the spirit and stories of surfers, including Joanne de John John Florence, and Jack Robinson to the forefront. Want to dive deeper into our world? Visit youtube.com slash Samsung. All right. We've come back from a word from our sponsors, but I do want to talk about sponsorship with you because, again, when I first encountered you, you were one of Billabong's major, major guys. Um, Tell me about when you first started getting sponsored, what that relationship was for you coming from Puerto Rico and the industry that was largely based in California and what some of those early experiences were for you.
1: There are some crazy early experiences I'll never forget. I, I rode for, for a bunch of different brands before I, I really got cemented into being into Billabong. And uh, I rode for, for The Realm, I'll never forget. And uh, I stayed at Drummy's house and uh, I met Donnie Fuller and stuff like that. And uh, I, I rode for Lost too, and I stayed at uh, The Lost House, which was crazy. But uh, riding for, for Billabong was just a dream. Like when I got sponsored by Billabong, it was surreal. My favorite guys were there, Andy, which is definitely one of the people that i most looked up to in my whole life. Uh, Parco, Aki, Luke Egan, like Taj. Taj was my top guy. You know and I mean, like all these guys and to be in that caliber of group of athletes. Like when I was young, I was like, I was like, just to have that logo on my board, I felt like I was so elite. I was like, wow, like, um, I can't believe I had the same sticker as these guys, you know what I mean? I look up to them so much. I idolize them so much. Uh, they're, 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 they're icons, they're, they're mortal gods. I would see them basically, you know what I mean? Like, they're so big. I'll, I'll never forget, Dave, that I went to Hawaii to stay at the Billabong house and they had just gotten that uh, off the wall house which is beautiful now, but I stayed there before it was all nice and super Crip and all that stuff. I stayed there when it was the Rip Crow house had just left and Billabong had just bought the house and it was all dingy, but it was beautiful. Still ridiculously beautiful house. And being in front of off the wall was like the most amazing experience of my life. I still look back in that and I, I think those are my golden years to be staying in front of pipeline. Uh, with the best surfers and, and getting to experience seeing the best surfers every day. Surfing pipeline was definitely, I think probably the top from the top of my career, but I'll never forget. uh, I went there and uh, it was Sterling Spencer and it was Jordy Smith when Jordy Smith was starting to come about as one of the best phenoms we've ever seen, which I think he still is. And uh, I'll never forget that we were there. And I was like, they came to film this movie that was called Frothing. And uh, the filmer comes and he's, um, oh, I'm here to film Jordy Smith, Sterling Spencer, uh, Wade Goodall, Laurie Towner, this, that, this guy, this guy. And he never said my name. And I was like, oh, okay, I see how it is. So I knew from the get-go, I really had to impress these, these, these cat these, these video guys, these, the, the people from Billabong. So I knew in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm going on the biggest waves. Um, I don't care if it's a closeout. I don't care if if nobody wants it. I'm going to try to go for it just because I wanted to make a statement that I was there and I, and I was for real. And I'll never forget one afternoon. Uh, we were surfing. No, we weren't surfing. It was actually Thanksgiving. The waves were bad. It was super onshore, but it was huge. Next thing you know, we're eating. We're having a couple... Drinks, we're having a good time. The wind switches and it turns offshore and the waves get amazing. Like the waves get amazing. And I see Lori Towner, which he's, I think he's pretty much my same age. And he had just gotten that wave at Chipsterns. You remember that one? Oh, yeah. Which was which was historic, iconic wave. And I was like, I want to be like him. I want to be in the same stage as him. I want to be, I want to be respected like he is from billabong So I saw him wax his board up. And I was like, you know what? If he's going out. I'm paddling out. And I ran over to my house and I was like, I had a little buzz, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and I was like, I'm we're going out. We're going out no matter what. I waxed up my board and they were surfing off the wall, I'll never forget it. And it was like huge off the wall, closing out, but there was some crazy ones coming in. And we paddled out, and I'm just like, there's Mick Fanning, there's Kieran Perro, there's Laurie Towner, and I was like, Whoa, bro, I'm here. This is this is it. And uh I'll never forget. I swear to God, I saw a peak in the middle of the ocean and I was like, that's, that's it. That's my wave. And I I swam up to it and I ended up paddling for this crazy wave. I took off and I couldn't see anything. And I thought I was eating it. I stuck the bottom. And when I look up the thing, there's a huge cavern I'm in it and the thing spits, the thing spits so hard. I thought I was in a closeout. I thought the wave closed out. And next thing I know, I get spat out of the wave and I'm just like, Oh my God, this has just been the wave of my life. Like, like tripping out. And you know how it is. There's everybody who's on every house screaming like, Whoa. And I was like, Oh my God, like what just happened? I just got one of the best waves of my life. Like I'll never forget. Mick Fanning came up to me and he was like, how the hell did you make that wave? I thought you were dead, bro. I thought you were dead. And I was just like, I I I was shell shocked. It was Mick, Mick Fanning. I'm, I was like I didn't even know what to say. On, and and the whole experience I had so many so much adrenaline running through me. It was it was I then and there I felt like I cemented myself as a Billabong writer. I came out in the in the movie called Frothing, which was an amazing movie, which with all the best Billabong writers. every single one of them had a a section, and I was featured as I had my own section. And I was just like, I'm making it. I'm, I'm really doing this. this is, I'm living my dream. And it was one of the most craziest moments. I got chicken skin right now, like, thinking about it. Because I still can't can't believe that, that that happened. And and just to be in a movie with Andy Irons, Parco, Taj, Jordy Smith was... I would have never in a million years thought that, that, that it could happen. There's not even... Not even Taj, I was thinking about maybe TJ Barron. When I saw Endless Summer 2, I was like, I saw TJ Barron that was getting pushed into these little waves and he was like, oh, wait till you see what TJ Barron does when he's 15 or 16 years old. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, TJ Barron's is going to be the gnarliest surfer in the world. And I got to be in the same team with him and getting to know him, then later staying at his house was It was surreal, Dave. I I I was living my best life. I was I was I was living my dream.
0: I I have chicken skin. You retelling it. I remember the movie. I remember your section. I remember that wave. I think they used that wave and like just that image of you getting blown out the end of that barrel. I think ended up in advertisements. It was like a huge deal. When how old were you when you signed with Billabong and? The reason I ask is because I think a lot of our listeners are interested, not so much in all the details, but just directionally, where they like, we're going to sign you. We want you to do the QS. We want you to make the CT. We also want you to do these video things. We also want you to go on these trips. What were the general kind of directions that you got when you signed with Billabong, and how, how old were you when you signed with them?
1: I signed with Billabong when I was 20. Yeah, I think I was 20. I was just, just turned 20, actually. And... Um, I, when I got that wave, Dave, which is crazy too, I, three days after getting that wave, I blew out my knee surfing back door and I was sidelined for like, basically for almost a year. Mm-hmm. So all the plans that I had I, and I, but I just signed my deal. So, but all the plans that I had set for that time kind of got postponed. And I felt like, I was like, damn, like I just had my biggest breakthrough and I just had this big injury. Like, Like I got to come back stronger and better than ever. That's all I kept telling myself, but it was crazy. Like Dave, I, I I never had that much direction from billabong to what they wanted me to do, which I was always telling me, like, what do you guys want from me? Like, Mm -hmm. like, but I, I think like back in that moment in surfing, it was you either were doing the QS or you weren't doing anything. Right. Like, I don't think that the freestyle, lifestyle that there is now or 10 years ago, you could actually make a living out of that. I think that you either went to the QS or there was nothing, you know what I mean? Like you had to go to the QS and in the same time that you did the QS, you had to shoot photos, you had to do video, you had to do anything you could to be in the limelight and, and uh, get a bump up in your salary. So I feel that, uh, in that moment, my whole vibe was, be the best surfer you can and uh, compete as best as you can. But in Puerto Rico here, we don't have that many events. Right. So I feel that that I lost a little bit of myself because we didn't have that, that, uh, background right. from the government. We don't have that backing from the government where the government helps you do more events, have have more events locally, which I think that's what creates the atmosphere of getting better competitive surfers. Surfers. Yeah, totally.
0: I mean, I, it proves out anywhere that that happens. The, you said you blew your knee out in you're 20. When you came back and you say you're out of the water for about a year, did you feel like you gave yourself enough time to come back? Did you feel like you were at 100%? Because so often in surfing and all sports, you know, you get these world-class athletes that are so eager to get back to their their skill and and their passion that they come back early, and I'm I I don't have an answer. I'm, I'm not sort of leading the witness here. I just I I want to hear from you uh, about your recovery and how you felt when you came back.
1: Well, um, I really was so pissed that I got hurt when I just had my biggest moment in my surf career at that moment. That I basically put my head down and trained my butt off. I really. I really trained as hard as I could. I did anything and everything that I could to become that surfer that I once was. So when I came back, I felt solid. I felt like I had a lot to prove. I felt like that, that, uh, that only just one wave wasn't, wasn't my whole deal. You know what I mean? I was, I really wanted to cement myself as one of the best juniors and, uh, one of the best surfers, the best surfer that I could, you know what I mean? Not not one of the best juniors there's i thought there were so many good surfers and still is but i was really just focused on being the best that i could be and uh i felt like i was strong i was ready like i said i didn't know what billabong want me wanted me to do if they wanted to, me to be this this surfer that wanted to chase big waves if they wanted me to do be more of a photo trips guy and uh create more content i feel like back then there wasn't the niche of Instagram still wasn't there. The content creating surfer wasn't really a thing. So it was like I had to go back to the QS. No matter yeah. what I did, If even if I didn't even have that much money, I still had to go there because that's where all of my peers were at.
0: Sure. And, and how was your QS run from, I guess, that point, which is like mid-2000s? through, you know, 2010, 2011. I know you, you did a few events after 2011 every year, like, you know, handful of events, but you gave it a good crack there, kind of at the end of the oddies, isn't that right?
1: Yeah, I, I give it a good crack, but I feel like um, mentally uh, I wasn't ready. You know what I mean? Right. I, was, I was still kind of young and uh, I felt like I was getting eaten alive by, by older guys that were way more mentally tough than I was. You know, you mean, just uh, in
0: competition, You
1: mean, yeah. In competition. Yeah. In competition. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I felt like I, I never got the full confidence of myself to believe that I could beat anybody on tour. And I feel like that's how you have to be. If you're going to do the tour, you uh-huh. have to be so confident in yourself that there's no one that can beat you. You know what I mean? And I, I, I felt like I never got to that place mentally. Like physically my surfing was there, everything was there, but mentally I never got to a point where, where I could try to make the tour or, or, or get there. Like I had injuries. I had just mental stupidness that I really could have worked on it a lot more. Now, now thinking back, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm an older surfer now and I'm uh, judging myself at 22, 23, 24, 25. And now here at 34, it's, uh, it's crazy. I, I, I look back and I'm just like, damn, like I needed to grow so much more and I needed to be so much more mentally strong here, not here, not here. You know what I mean? Just here. And, and I feel like I see so many kids nowadays doing the tour and, and they don't have a plan. They don't have, they don't have really, I don't want to say know what it takes, but when you're, I feel like more now than ever surfing is it's an Olympic sport it's a sport that you have to train your butt off 24 seven if you're going to beat the next guy that's willing to eat your lunch money you know what i mean so right so back then i didn't have that edge and uh, i felt like i didn't i'd never made that qs campaign that i always wanted
0: you know there's that saying like ignorance is bliss and and sometimes i apply that to if you don't know how good other people are, you never worry that you're not good enough. And and the reason I bring that up is you mentioned being on this man like you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find a team with more heavy hitters than the Billabong team of the mid-oddies. You mentioned Andy and Parco and Taj. And do you think that part of that and being close to that team and being close to those talents? Was a little bit of a psychological barrier for you in the sense if you said your surfing's there, but mentally, were you looking at these guys being like, I'm not, I'm not them.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Like, what can you say that, like, you know what I mean? Like Andy, Parco, Taj, those are the people that we had to like, kind of be in the same limelight or get to where they were at was crazy. You know what I mean? I, I, I idolized those guys so much that I never even really thought about how mentally tough he had to be. I remember seeing Jordy when Jordy was actually becoming who he was or who he is now. You know what I mean? And I remember seeing Jordy and I remember thinking to myself how confident, how confident he really was at an age of 18. He, his confidence was like another level. He really thought that he was as good as Taj or Andy at that point. at that age, you know what I mean, and sure. and I think that's what cemented him as one of the best surfers coming up. You know what I mean? I saw that, and I was just like, "Wow, like this kid's gonna be something else." Just because he was just like, nah, I'm the guy. I'm here to take over. I'm here to beat the Andes, the Kelly's, the whatever, whatever it takes." Yeah, you know what I mean it, and it was it was crazy. I just never really had that that confidence like that. You know, even though
0: you're on. Even though you were on a team, you know, with your heroes, like it's been one of the nice things about doing this job is is because a lot of them are my heroes too, as far as surfing goes and you meet them and they're just human beings and they're, they're, a lot of them are so nice and down to earth. Was that your experience being on the team with them? Did you have sort of what you would consider more of a friendship with some of them with like Sir Andy, for example?
1: Yeah. uh, I got to meet and uh, have a great relationship with the late great Andy. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I'll never forget. Check this story out. I'll never forget. Um, I was, uh, so at that point, uh, Billabong had the off the wall house, but they would rent the, what they would call the rip curl house now. And, uh, I was, I paddle out at off the wall by myself one morning, snow went out. I paddle out and it looked fun for me. And I paddle out. And nobody else paddled out, and I'm just sitting there in the peak. And next thing I know, I see Andy paddling out. And I'm just like, what? Andy's paddling out. I, at this moment, I had never met Andy before. I just, I was just his biggest fan. And uh, I had all his trunks. And I thought, I I, I thought I was Andy Arons. I, I'd put my sticker and try to do every emulate him in any way I could. And um, he paddles out and uh, I'm just like, yeah, like, what's up? Like, what's up, Andy? <laughs> you know what I mean? But he's sitting there. He takes off on the first wave of the set, and uh, I take off on the second one. And uh, I take off on the second one. I get I get a little small barrel. I come out, and I try to do this big tail throw. When I'm coming down from doing the tail throw, who's under me? Andy Irons. I land straight on him, and the guy comes out. You, you freaking kook. What are you doing? You oh, almost no. killed me. And I'm just like – uh, 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 I didn't even know what to say. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, uh, uh, uh Andy, I'm so sorry. Like, and, and he was just like, like he want, he wanted to slap me. Like, there's no doubt about it. I was just so defenseless. And so like, teary eye, like puppy eyes, like, like, please don't hit me. You know what I mean? I'm your biggest fan. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was, it was just crazy that, um, uh, that I got, that's how we got introduced. But then later on, um, through a mutual friend, I got to meet him in Kauai and, uh, we, we became really good friends. He actually brought me to his house, let me stay in his house. I became a really good friend of Lindy's and, uh, and, and he brought me in and he made me feel like, like friends, like family, sure. like not, nah, we're just, we're not teammates, not nah, your, your family, dude. Like I remember I was supposed to leave and he's like, no dude, you're not leaving you're staying a couple more days in my house. And I'm just like, what? Like, I remember I woke up that one of those mornings, the first morning I stayed at his house and I was just like looking at his trophies, his uh, world title trophies. And I was like tripping. I was like, I can't believe I'm at Andy Irons' house. And then likewise, man, I uh, I made a really good relationship with Taj. I always thought Taj was one of the most down to earth and humble humans I've ever met. Like for him being that, that good of a surfer. You know what I mean? I always looked up to him and I was like, that's kind of the surfer I wanted to be too. Uh, Between him and Andy, I always wanted to be them. You know what I mean? And then Aki, Aki was just like a god too. Like, and then Egan, Parco, Parco would always give me shit. Like I remember I I grabbed one of his fins and and, uh, broke him and he was like snapping at me. But then he was just, nah, I'm just fucking with you. Like Parco was like, all those guys, man. It was it was a dream. It was seriously a dream, um, Dave. I, I couldn't even believe that I was living that when I was just looking at those guys in the movies and magazines and emulating their style, the way that they moved, everything that they would do, I, I would just try to be like them. So for me to be able to actually meet them, be in the same house as them, have the same sponsor was, was a dream. It was a dream. 2010.
0: The Rip Curl Pro search comes to Puerto Rico, uh, events at Middles, um, ends up firing for the event. Um, but obviously, bittersweet. Um, while Kelly was battling for his historic 10th world title, um, you know, Andy passed away um, en route back to, to Kauai. What was that event like for you at that time?
1: I think you said it perfectly. I think uh, bittersweet, more bitter, and sweet. Um, I actually took Andy to the airport. Mm. Uh, I was one of the last person, people to see him, I guess. You know what I mean? And uh, his last words were, uh, I'm coming back, Ali. Like, we're, we're doing this again. I'm coming back. I want to bring Lindy. Uh, I want to come surf and, and stay and hang out with you. Like, And uh, I remember he, he had this red shirt. And uh, he took off the red shirt and he gave it to me. And I still have the shirt. I still have it. And, uh, it, for me, was bittersweet. Like, I think that's the most bitter part about it. You know what I mean? Like, and then just the sweet part about it was to see everything like Kelly winning his t- 10th world title, uh, the way it's being amazing in Puerto Rico, seeing the best surfers in the world, surfing one of our home breaks was amazing. I mean, it was, it was something that I could have never thought that would really happen and it did. And, but at the same time, I had so much remorse. I had so much, I was so sad about what happened to Andy and, and I, I felt so weirded out with everything that was going on that it was hard to process. I, um, like I was, I really, I really love Lindy. I, I felt for everything that was going on. I was there. I, I uh, You know what I mean? Like, I was so bitter that I was like, I, I couldn't process all these things that were happening to Puerto Rico, which was beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's the first CT ever in Puerto Rico. Kelly Slayer wins his 10th world title. Like, all these amazing things were happening. But in the back of my mind, I was still like... Well, Andy Irons just died, and he was here, and 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 I was uh, I was supposed to take care of him, and and all these things, and I was just like, like you know what I mean? Like, it, it, I think that event was great for Puerto Rico, but I think it was definitely tainted by by the loss of one of the biggest heroes in surfing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, as, as someone who I was there and, and was working for the ASP, and was a Like you're a huge fan of Andy, I I think on it is it's almost like the difference in years where you you'd say, well, that's you know 10 years BC and like or 10 years AD, like it's it's a little bit like it's one of those moments that there was surfing before Andy passed away and surfing after. Like I feel like it was that important that whether you were a surfer or whether you were worked for the ASP or whether you worked for the media or you were a fan or you worked in the industry, like things changed. And for someone like yourself, um, who obviously had such a close connection with Andy and Lindy and the family and also Billabong and just being a professional surfer, what changed for you, if anything, you know, after that, like in terms of your career motivation, what were you trying to do, you know, from 2010, 2011 onward? What, what, what walked me through those steps?
1: Man, I it wasn't the same. Writing for Billabong wasn't the same. You know what I mean? Like this icon, which was Andy Irons, was not on the team anymore. Was kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like I always wanted to impress him. I always wanted to to be like him, to surf like him, to 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 share ways with him. Like so, it was it was weird i uh, i remember going to hawaii that year that same year that andy passed and it, it was it was so surreal like not having andy there and and having those moments that we shared as friends not as teammates as friends as as family not seeing lindy not being able to to crack jokes at the house and have beers and and watch the sunset and and really take in what, what surfing is, which is surfing with your friends and having a good time and, and all this stuff. So m- motivation, I, I I think I've never lacked the motivation, you know what I mean, to really be the best I could as an athlete, as a surfer. And I, I've always wanted to push myself and I still do. So I, I never lost the motivation, but something was just not right ever since he left uh, Billabong. I felt like maybe the the coreness the rawness that he brought to the table was not was not there anymore. it was mm-hmm. it was just not 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 there anymore and uh just the how the type of person he was it was so real and and how he treated even the groms was was sick he was like "Now groms you got to take out the trash like you guys got to do this you guys got to do that like like the real way that that um uh, the camaraderie of being a professional surfer, how you come through the ranks and he always cemented that. And we didn't have that much that in in the house anymore because he wasn't there to put that, that stint of, of being that guy, being Mm. that, that role model. So it was definitely weird. It was definitely a time that um, was, like I said, uh, and Billabong never felt the same.
0: Yeah. I mean, in addition to, everything that you you articulated so well there it, uh, there's also personal trauma and tragedy you know and and I I think maybe that was also something that contributed to a lot of us that were around the situation that had to put the pieces back together after after it happened did you did you did you enter counseling did you do anything for yourself
1: from a from a mental health perspective after that no mm, oh, i i never uh, did counseling. I definitely um, drank a lot, partied a lot. I think that was the the way to like kind of like deal with my inner demons and sure. uh, and things that were happening. I remember in that stage in my life, I was I was kind of tripped out. I was like thinking like, well, you don't know if Andy Aaron died, anybody could die. I always saw him as a superhero. So I remember that we were partying really hard and really, and really having a lot of fun in the sense that, cause we never, you never knew, you never knew when was your time up. So you're kind of thinking like that. I remember me and a couple friends of mine, and then I think Cy and Miloski died too, I think short after. And it was, it was, um, it was weird. It was, it was a weird time in surfing. It was a weird time in my life where I thought that, that I, I really thought that, any day it could be over. So I wanted to live my life as full as I could, but I never went into counseling. It's just something that will be in, it will be, be with me for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Like. Of course.
0: Well, I mean, it, it, the response that you were talking about, you know, numbing in a way, but also just the reality of like, yeah, it, uh, any moment could be our last. You certainly weren't the only one that was doing that, but also, there's a limit to how long you could do that. I'd imagine at some point that ends and you have to kind of, not that you ever forget things, but you have to move on, you know, and you have to move on to the next, next chapter. Did that happen for you at at any point uh, specifically?
1: Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I feel that uh, there was a moment there that my brother, which like I said before was, was one of the most important, important people in my life was like, what are you doing? Like, is this, is this the way you want to live? Is this what you want to do? Like, this is not you. This is, you're an athlete. You need to take care of yourself. You need to be more, more, more of a professional. You're not a partyer. This is not, this is not who you are. Like, and that kind of grounded me and, 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 and told me like, what am I doing? Like, this is, is this what you want? Is this how you want to, to be portrayed? Is this, is this? Is this what's in your future? And and at that time, I I, I have a, an event for little kids, which is called Los Gallitos de Ale, which means uh, what is it called the. the, the so it sounds pretty funny, but it's like the cocks, the little cocks. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I I I feel that I am a role model for all these kids here in Puerto Rico, so I I can't be. Partying, I can't be doing all this stuff. You know what I mean? I have to, I have to really show the future generation uh, how to be a professional in the sport of surfing. You know what I mean? I and that's not a professional. Being in the in in uh, in the clubs till late at night, drinking, not waking up early, not being on it when the waves are on, like not really taking care of your body. That's that, that that's not that's not a professional surfer professional surfer is somebody that takes care of their body, that wakes up early, is on it when the waves are good. So that really brought me back into the state of mind that I needed to be a better human, a better surfer, a better friend. And um, yeah, it kind of changed my whole outlook.
0: We got a couple more topics and we definitely have some listener questions for you. But first, we're going to take one more quick break to get another word in for our sponsors. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal.
0: Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com code the lineup 1515 all right so let's talk ultimate surfer i got brought in early on and i was told by abc and pilgrim media and the WSL we're all sort of co-producing it they said, we need you to sift through these applicants and go through their application, go through the photos and the videos they submitted, and then grade them based on ability. And I'm like, okay, well, how do you want me to grade them? They said, just whatever you want. And I'm like, all right, well. So I said, all right, well, I'll just use the school system. Um, you know, If you get an A, that's CT level talent. If uh, you're B, it's QS level talent. And if it's a C, it's like you can surf, but you probably get blown out in round one in the QS. And then if you're a D, you're below that. And there were 750 applicants. So I got to go through all that. And when yours came across, I'm like, I don't even need to watch this, but I'm going to anyway, because I enjoy it. Um, a grade, easy. I was, uh, I was shocked, not, not by you specifically, but just by the caliber of talent that applied to be on the show. How did you hear about the show and what was your motivation for doing it?
1: Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, my motivation was very out of the blue. Well, the, the person that uh, videos me most of the time, his name is Moncho. He's a good friend of mine. He sends me the application and, uh, and I see the application. He's like, uh, you, should, you should do this. And I was like, dude, there's no way in hell they're going to cast me for this thing. And he's like, he's like, um, what are you losing? You, you, are you doing anything? You, you don't want to go to the wave pool. Like, and I was just like, man, there's, there's so many good surfers nowadays. Like there's no way in hell they're going to choose me. And he was like, well, but just, just do it. What's the worst that could happen? You know what I mean? What's the, the, the best thing that could happen is that you get to serve the wave ranch and, and you get to do that. And, and I'm like, you know what it's, yeah, let's, let's do it. I sign it and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to get casted. Month goes by, uh, I get an email and, uh, one of the casting director guys is like, can you do a zoom call? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Let's do a zoom call. We do the zoom call and we're ta- we talked for like two hours. And, uh, he, it was crazy. Cause he asked me everything. He asked me about my family, about different types of things. Like I I had never been in a zoom call that felt like, uh, like you were a job application or something like that, but it it felt like a a job application, but even more in depth, in depth. So um, we do it. And he's like, man, like I gotta be straightforward with you. This is definitely one of the best uh, interviews that I've done from all the applicants that we've had. And I was just like, really? And he was like, yeah, like for reals. And I was like, well, man, thank you. Like, appreciate it, uh, super stoked, like, thank you, like, uh, and he's like, well, I hope to see you on the show, and he's like, oh, man, thank you, and um, another month goes by, and I'm just like, yeah, they're never going to choose me, and then I get another email, and it's like, you've made the last round of Ultimate Surfer finalists, we want you to come out to California, and I was like, no way, (laughs) like, this is not really happening, (laughs) to me, like, there's no way, like, is this a joke, like, I was tripping out and then we get to California and we get, and I get to California, I, I see all the applicants at the hotel. And first thing I do, I'm going to go talk to one of them. And they're like, one of the lady comes up and he's like, "Nope, you can't talk to them. Nobody can talk to anybody here. You got to stay in your room. You can't talk to anybody. You can't leave the, the hotel room. You can't do anything. And I was just like, wow, this is for real. What's going on here? And I remember I saw like Kai Barger and me and Kai go way back and we're like, what the hell is going on? Like, this is, this is crazy. Like, and then I do the, the exams that we did. We, I do all the stuff. And then before I go to the last uh, interview, which is where I saw you, Dave, I see Kai and Kai's like, dude, they kind of bullied me in there. Like, (laughs) <laughs> they're treating me like kind of. They're treating me kind of bad, and I was just like, "For real?" And he's like, "Yeah, dude, be ready." So I get in there, and I'm just like, "Oh my god!" Like there's so many cameras. There's so much going on. You were on a couch with Jesse. There's the pro- producer. One of the producers. One of the pilgrim guys in the front. Another producer on the other side. And I was just like, "Whoa!" Like this is this is happening. This is crazy. Like this is for real.
0: It was intense. I remember. They called us to the hotel and they're like, oh, we're going to do the final like auditions or whatever. And they like, it be a couple hours. I'm like, okay, cool. I sit down. I get there in the morning. I grab like there are those tables at the back and I'm like, I'm just going to put my computer here and like answer emails and listen in or something. And I go to set up and this assistant comes up. Says, oh, no, Mr. Proden, it's a seating. You need to sit here on this couch. So I'm like, all right. And I sit down. They're like, here's a menu, order what you want. They give me this big binder that was like the big FBI dossier for all of you these- <laughs> Applicants, And they're like, here's their IQ tests. Here's their psych evaluations. They're like, this is a lot of information. I'm like, how'd you get all this? They're like, oh, they've been here for three days. And I was like, oh, okay. And I remember it was, yeah, the producers were giving everyone a hard time. And we were just kind of sitting there laughing. And after everyone would leave the room, they'd be like, can that person surf? And most everyone that was there at that point, it was like, yes. Um, with you in particular, it's like, yes, <laughs> 100%. But I remember you left the room and like, they were like, we like this guy. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Um, but I'm with you. I was blown away by like, man. And it took all day. It was like 10 hours we were there and you guys were there for three days. But yeah, it was a real production. Dude, what? I was, uh,
1: yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I'll i never forget. Like one of the first things that the producer, the main guy from Pilgrim was like, he, he goes up and he's like, can this guy surf Dave? And yeah. I look at Dave and I'm like, uh. Please say yes, <laughs> and, he, and you're like, No, yeah, yeah, he could surf. And I was like, Oh, and he said, like, how he said, it. I was, I felt like so, like, honored that you said it that way. I was like, Oh, sick, like, okay, I, I, I'm stuck. I'm thinking, like, thank you so much. Like, thank, uh, man, keep going. Know. I'm sorry. I don't know. It, I'm with
0: you. It was an interesting experience that I, and then it all goes down during COVID, right? And so it was interesting in the sense of, like, there are no events happening, there's really nothing else going on. We're gonna film this show. It's gonna be in this COVID bubble, which you guys were in for weeks. I went up there for like two weeks. What what I I don't really know what to ask, but maybe a question is: before you turned up at Surf Ranch to shoot the Ultimate Surfer, what were the biggest differences between what you thought was gonna happen and what you actually experienced being there?
1: <sighs> okay. I feel that um we never got to practice. Like mm. I I thought that we were really gonna have a go to really understand what the wave was like, kind of really feel it out, feel our boards. I I I had five new brand new boards and I had no idea what to ride. I I had no idea how the wave was. I had we had very little info of how to surf the wave. But there was guys that had already surfed it, like Zeke had already competed in it coached sure. in it. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I think Luke had gone before Mason had gone before, but Kai, Austin, Koa and myself were really in the dark. We, we had no idea. I, it was crazy how much faster it is than when you surf it. Like, like when I, I mean like, like it's so much faster than what you think it is. Like yeah. you see, you see the saltwater pro and you see, Medina and Felipe and Griffin and all these guys surf so good on it that you're like, oh, it's not that, it can't be that hard or Kelly, you know what I mean? And then you get there and you're like, oh my God, this is like 10 times harder than what you think. Like, so, like, in that end of it, like the wave part was way harder than I thought. It was 10 times harder than when I thought how to read it, how to surf it, your equipment, all these things that I was very unaware of. And then the part of being on the show was a totally different ballgame. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I had never been in a production like, like that or a production that I would wake up in the morning and you had 30 cameras coming from you in every angle, you know what I mean? Like, and then, and then it was, you never knew what was going to happen. So this, uh, indecisiveness, this, uh, kind of you, you were always nervous because you never knew what was going to happen and then mm-hmm. if you were getting put into this surf off scheme like all that stuff was just like it was i we were there for a month and it seriously felt like a year like right, yeah. there was there was so much no pressure phone, no internet
0: no i mean, you guys were just-
1: but you know what you know what dave like the no phone and the no internet was one of the most beautiful things ever. I'm sure. Yeah. Like it was like, we were, it made us, uh, join so much as a group. Like everybody that was there got to really know each other and really bond and really like, kind of like enjoy every person's, uh, vibe, you know what I mean? And, and, and that part was so cool. Like, I didn't have my phone to be like, oh, look at this, look at that. You know what I mean? I was just so present in the moment that I think it, 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 it made me enjoy being there so much more. Like, so in that part, like it felt good, but the pressure situation was so high. It was crazy.
0: Mm. Yeah. How about after it's aired? has it changed your life at all at home or on social media or whatever? Have you noticed like, wow, that was, that was a thing because now all all these other things are happening in my life.
1: It's definitely changed because, um, there's a lot of people that know who I am now and and that part is super cool. But apart from sponsors and stuff like that, it hasn't changed, but Mm. I really felt the change when I went to California. Like, that's where I was like, wow, like, like I can't believe so much people know my name. Like I, I, I you know what I mean? Like as a surfer, I think everybody like wants that kind of a little bit of stardom. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know what I mean? You want to be recognized for you being such a good athlete. So when I get to California and I see people and people start recognizing me it was, it was crazy. I remember seeing Sky Brown, which I think she's like, one of the most interesting athletes incredibly and like has one of the most incredible talents in the world. You know what I mean? She's one of the best skaters and now one of the best surfers. And I see her in the WSL finals and, uh, my, me and my girlfriend are there and we're pretty much fanning out. We're like seriously Mm -hmm. super fans. And, uh, she's like, Oh, let's go take a photo with her. And, uh, I'm walking towards Sky Brown and next thing I know when I'm going to ask her for the photo, she's taking her phone out and she's like, can I take a photo with you? And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like Sky Brown wants a photo with me? Like this can't be happening. You know what I mean? Like, and that for me was just like, wow. Like this is, this is definitely the ultimate surfer is cha- it has changed my life you know what I mean like and then the next day I saw Bethany Hamilton which I think is has to be one of the most influential people in the world you know what I mean like like what she's done for surfing who she is it's just it, it it's it's I think people don't understand how much she's inspired young girls to tackle surfing mm-hmm. so when I see her and she tells me Alejandro you're my favorite in the show. We all wanted you to win. I was just like, wow, like I like, like I was like, wow, like I was like I was tripping out. I was like, you know what I mean? Like crazy.
0: You mentioned being at the uh the Rip Curl WSL finals. What did you think being there on the day?
1: Crazy. The vibe, the atmosphere, fully felt like the Super Bowl of Super Bowls, you know what I mean? Like I got there a little bit late because I misjudged the time. I thought it was going to run a lot longer than it did. It went by really right. fast. It went really fast. So yeah. yeah, so I got there late, but just the atmosphere was so intense. Every wave, every maneuver was so, so invigorating. Like I felt like every moment was the best moment ever. Is that does that? I don't know if that makes sense, but it was. The, the vibe was so intense. People were screaming. Everybody was like getting on their feet. I, I didn't even see one person pretty much sitting down. I was in the VIP, whatever you call it. And I was like standing up on top of a chair because you couldn't even see. So I'm a short guy though, but uh, <laughs> it was, it was like, it was crazy to see so much people enjoying and loving surfing to the highest level you know what I mean and and I feel like this pandemic has really it's been terrible for everything but I think it showed people how amazing surfing is you know what I mean uh, I feel that people understand how they have to get outside and being in the ocean is definitely one of the most amazing things in the world
0: yeah and lower is delivered I mean what a great what a great venue for those surfers to perform on
1: yeah what from your guys point of perspective what did you guys think
0: Yeah. I mean, we, you know, there are a bunch of us that worked really hard on it and there are a few of us that worked hard on it for a few years from a design perspective, but yeah, it was the single most watched day in, in our sports history. And it's one of those things too, that we think actually elevates the moment of winning the world title and working with the surfers and having them want to beat the best surfers of the season and win the world title in the water, in the last heat of the season. Um, Yeah, we're we're psyched. I can't wait for next year. I can't wait for the schedule for next year. But man, I I said it earlier. You're a young man. Like you were ripping in the Ultimate Surfer. You ripping everything you put online. You're fit. There's got to be part of you that's like, I I could do the QS. I can get on the Challenger Series. I could be there. Man, uh, uh, you still got some uh, stuff left in the basement. Come on.
1: Oh man. Uh, Well, it's crazy. Like you see guys like Slater. And what he's doing and how he's, the way he's still surfing at, what is he, 49? Uh, Did he, did he He's going to be 50
0: in February.
1: He's going to be 50 in February. So watching him as an athlete, obviously apart from all the world titles and everything that he's done as, as an athlete and how he's performing at that age makes you think like, I'm not done yet. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I still got so much more in the tank. And, uh, I feel like I mentally am 10 times stronger, uh, um, body wise, like everything that I'm putting into my body, uh, um, how I know my equipment, how I want to surf, like all these things that I didn't know before, I think are making me such a better surfer that if I wanted to do the challenger series or get on the QS, I would love to, but it's, I don't know if it's in my cards, you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's, a it's an expensive thing to go tackle these events and uh, do these, 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 these things that take a lot of time. You know what I mean? Yeah, so do have you, got want? your
0: business? You've got the surf with a pro surf Academy. You've got, what do you call it? Los Gaitos de Ale, like the grand yeah. event. You got, you yeah. got a lot of stuff happening in Puerto Rico.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, Dave, um, this show more than anything for me was to create consciousness. Of how amazing surfing is here in Puerto Rico, like I I I want to showcase that this is one of the best sports in the world and in anything. I mean, this is one of the most incredible sports that we have, and here in Puerto Rico we have some of the best waves in the world. So why can't we not be having some of the best athletes in surfing? So if I can if I can create consciousness of how amazing the sport is and mainstream it to to kids to really want to tackle and be professional surfers and hopefully be a world champ then i i've done more than enough you know what i mean that's 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 where i want to be you know what i mean i want to show parents show kids that surfing is an amazing sport and it's a sport it's an olympic sport it's something that you could really tackle and we have the waves to to have a professional. World champ, you know. what I mean, we have that. We just need to better our infrastructure. So, for me, it's always been just to um, give back to this amazing sport, give back to to Puerto Rico. That's given me everything that that I have. So, to really give surfing back what surfing's given to me, because it's giving me everything. I would have never been the person that I am today if it weren't been from surfing. You know, I, I probably would have mm. been killed or doing drugs or doing all the stupid stuff that i would have never been if it weren't for surfing so i have i have so much to give back to that sport because it's it's given me so much more makes a lot of sense man and
0: it's a great segue into the questions from the instagram community so everyone out there that follows us on at the lineup pod we put a feeler out for questions for la and uh we got a lot back but we've whittled it down to three no First way. question for you is from at meeg underscore Christine, and her question or their question is, "What advice do you have for people to lead more positive energy lives?"
1: I think to live a more positive life is uh, breathing that positive energy, uh, really waking up and uh, feeling that you're blessed. You know, I think. I think, uh, you having that, um, how would I say in, in English? I'm thinking in Spanish, it's called, agradecimiento, which it means, uh, you really embracing and, uh, being grateful that we are so lucky to be living, breathing, and that we have this amazing body that we have to nurture. We have to take care of it. And, uh, we really have to be grateful that, that, that we're lucky, that we know that we're grateful, you know what I mean? That, that we that we get, for us surfers and, and uh, people that are watching, that we get to do what we love, even if it's uh, doing it for one hour and, and it's not your job, you know what I mean? Just getting in the water, every day I get in the water and I wake up before, when I wake up, I, I, I say thank you, God, because we are lucky to be living this life. That we get to go in the water, have friends, go out to eat, you know what I mean? Having all these amazing things. So I think being grateful is uh, one of the most amazing things that you can to live a positive life.
0: It's good advice. Next question is from Et Volk, Lindsay. And the question is, is there going to be a season two? Oh, if there is going to be a season two of The Ultimate Surfer, how could the show be improved?
1: Wow. That's a great question. Um, I feel that if there was on Ultimate Surfer, I think there should be an international uh, Ultimate Surfer. Mm-hmm. I feel that uh, more people around the world should get a chance like I did uh, into showcasing their talents uh, to a bigger audience. I think uh, the Ultimate Surfer... I wish the Ultimate Surfer we could... Uh, showcase it to other people around the world. I don't know if other people have Hulu or, or have obviously don't have ABC, but, right. uh, I think it should be showcased for more international surfers to have the same opportunity that I have. So I think that would be, that would be great. You know what I mean? I think people from around the world to get to compete and have the same opportunities that I had would be, would be something to better the show. Um, what else? More
0: practice
1: time. Yeah, more practice time. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> but I feel like they wanted us not to have practice time so we would be on the edge 24-7.
0: But that's a theory. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, uh, all right, last one from the Instagram community, at least the last one that we selected, is from at Sergio Sangerman, who asks, with so many good waves, why don't we see more surfers from Puerto Rico on the championship tour?
1: Woof. Well, we, we, I think we hit that on the nail a little bit ago. I think uh, we need a better infrastructure. Uh, we need help from our government. We need uh, more events. We need to have a local tour, which uh, would be, give us more competitions. I think when you have more competition, it gives you uh, a chance to really better yourself constantly and compete and want to be better and train harder. So I feel that stems from that, from creating a better infrastructure as a professional surfers as, and if we implement the government and get help from the government, I think that would help us out along. And especially I feel that um, we need more help from the surf community, surf brands, surf mm. brands uh, make a lot of money here in Puerto Rico. And there's very few events that they do here in Puerto Rico. Mm. So, and WSL we we want to bring another event down here. If it's not a CT, we need more q s events. you know what I mean? Oh. I talked to Graham Stapleberg the other day when I saw you, uh, Dave, and I was like, man, we need to bring more events to Puerto Rico. We need We need that for 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 the youth, for for the upcoming surfers that are coming up, and uh, just for the future generations that are coming out of Puerto Rico. Totally agree, and and that
0: I do think that's something that's coming into the new redesign with the three tier system, where the regional QS events, the the goal for us is just to have as many as possible, and let people stay close as close to home as possible, and get as much as many reps as possible in competition, because no one's making a $1 billion dollars off those events. And going back to what you're saying, it's getting the community support, getting the government support, like these are community events and they're there to support surfers from the community and give them that opportunity to feel like, Hey, yeah, I can, I can do this and I've got enough points. I can do the challenger series, And I can really try, you know? Um, But I'm with you on that too. So I, 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 I'm confident it's going to happen. I hope it happens sooner rather than later.
1: Well, like I said, it's, it, that's my main thing. I, I would love to do the, the QS and, uh, get in the challenger series. But if, if you know what I mean, is it, is that on the cards? I really don't know. But if there's something that I can do to help my Island, to help the future generation of surfers coming up, that's going to be it. You know what I mean? I'm going to push for we having more events for, for surfing academies to grow for burying the infrastructure of the local events. Uh, Creating more consciousness of how amazing surfing is, bringing surfing into schools, make it part of the curriculum. All these things that I think that are getting better, the surfing. I'm gonna do them because, like I said, surfing has given me so much, and I have to give it back a lot more because it's giving me purpose, it's giving me life, it's giving me my friends, it's giving me everything that I love. And uh, thanks to surfing, I'm here, and I'm breathing, and I'm living, and I'm, I'm enjoying life.
0: That's a great answer. We have one final segment. It is the lightning round presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. These are 10 questions. Answer as fast as you can. Cool. Question one. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, bo- quad, bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Twin fin. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Burrito. Last book you read?
1: Um, what's it called again, uh, Limitless, uh, Relentless. Mm.
0: Best surf film ever.
1: Raw Irons or Searching for Tom Cruise.
0: One wave you never have to go back to. Uh, New Smyrna. <laughs> you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life.
1: Machucas. It's a wave here in Puerto Rico. But it's like, it's like, uh, lowers, but longer. Whew. But, but I, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Maybe backdoor. Backdoor.
0: <laughs> Those are both good answers. <laughs> best, per, best person to share the lineup with? My brother. Worst Nico. person to share the lineup with?
1: My brother, Nico.
0: <laughs> Finish the sentence. This last one. I will next achieve a state of happiness by.
1: I will next achieve a state of happiness mm-hmm. by being grateful.
0: Alejandro, thank you so much for coming on the lineup. Congratulations for all your success. Thank you just for ripping for as long as you have. I've been a huge fan since since I started. And, man, I look forward to what you're doing next.
1: Dave, it's truly been an honor. Uh, man, like I said, it, it um, overwhelmed. Me. I get chicken skin. Thank you so much for your time. It's been crazy. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, it's Um, I'm tripping. I'm going to have a beer in your name. And uh, really, uh, thank you for letting me share my story. Thank you for giving me this platform to really inspire anyone. If it's one or two people, then I've done enough. But uh, I really appreciate your time. And uh, thank you for everything. Of course, man. And we'll
0: get some events running in Puerto Rico. I'll come on over. We'll have a beer in person.
1: Please, please do. I would love to have you back, man. Right
0: on. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with Puerto Rico's Alejandro Moreira. I hope you enjoyed it. This episode is produced by Hendo Bayer with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it's recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Quiche de Vagnar, and the Taino native Puerto Rican people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLStore.com is powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash lineup.